Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We've got a terrific Wednesday morning show for you today, including Metro Road and travel conditions. Still lots of trouble out at YVR. The airport saying they will limit international flights for the next 48 hours as they continue to dig out from the storm. Could it happen at a worst possible time? Do you have any family flying in from the States like we do? We've got some family members flying set to fly in tomorrow from the U.S. Uh-oh, are they going to make it here? Make sure you check and confirm your flights. Taking a look at metro road conditions, as you've been hearing on your news this morning, there is still some problems out there as we dig out from this storm. Just checking the website here now for main road contracting. They're the primary provincial contractor for snow removal in the lower mainland. They say they're all hands on deck. They're working flat out. One thing to remember, though, that company is only responsible for provincial highways and bridges in the region, not responsible for plowing within municipal boundaries. Sometimes we get a patchwork of plowing across the region. I've got Delta Mayor George Harvey standing by. First, have a listen to some of the calls we've been getting here on the show. Main Road has a monopoly of the whole lower mainland. They only have 30 snow plows. These things are not driven by robots, and the drivers don't sleep in their trucks. It's clear that they're trying to take care of this by guilt complex on people instead of clearing the roads. you got to be proactive. you got to get the grit on the road. Yet the bloody city cannot get their trucks out to plow the snow. And then we, we spend money on snow removal equipment and we don't use it. The problem is there are no snow plows out here. They did not plow or do a thing to that Highway 17 overnight. It is just ridiculous. Okay, let me know on the open line if the plows have come through where you're living. Let's check in with George Harvey now, the mayor of Delta. He's been sounding the alarm on this. Mayor Harvey, thank you for coming on today. Oh, thanks for having me anytime. You bet. Thank you. Let me, let's talk about your concerns here about, about snow removal capacity here in the region. You think it's not, it's not adequate, correct? Well, I didn't say that. I, I believe every city is doing its best that they can do. Uh, every, every area is different. I, there was a comment uh, last week with regards to setting up a metro committee. I am the chair of metro now uh, as a result of an election just a few months ago. Yeah. I don't see that happening at all. I don't need somebody else telling me what to do in Delta. Our crews do have an emergency response plan for snow removal, for flooding. It's approved by council. We were out 48 hours before that last storm. We get weather reports. We activated our plan, and our crews are working 24-7 to keep our priority roads, secondary roads when they can uh, plowed. Uh, I do have a problem with Main Road. 
And we can get people to the highways, but it's the highways that are the problem. I did have a good conversation with Minister Fleming. Uh, He's aware of the situation. I hope after the snow season's over that they can look at that contract to make sure it's going to provide the necessary service, including perhaps additional tow trucks, because that was a condition that was a concern we had last week, was the uh, ability to get those trucks that were stuck out of the way. But in Delta, our roads are in good shape. I just had comments in, uh, from various people saying that the roads were very good this morning. Uh, I'm proud of our crews. Uh, they're tirelessly working, trying to keep our roads clear and people safe. And uh, we will do our job, but we need the province to step up and ensure that they're doing theirs. I drove 17A yesterday, and it was in terrible shape. I got into our roads, and they were bare because we had been out salting extensively overnight. Uh, They need to have a a better look at so far as the intensity of storms that we're getting and what we should expect for snowfall the next next number of years. Okay, I did reach out to Main Road Contracting, uh, George, and ask them to come on the show today. I also asked for them yesterday, and they told me that no spokesperson was available to come on. I'm taking a look at their website. They say they're working flat out 100% to do the best they can. They say they have 100 employees there in Main Road for for Metro Vancouver. Do you think that, like, what is your specific concerns there? Do you think that they don't have an adequate a size of a workforce, or maybe they need more plows? This is no criticisms on the employees that are working for Main Road. They're uh, like yeah. our staff. Uh, they're working. In, and I've been in those, those snow trucks, uh, the plows, and it's not an easy job, not an easy job at all. So this, my criticism is not towards them at all. It's right. whether or not the contract is adequate to have a number of tow trucks available, additional plows, uh, and also uh, frequency insofar as the routes. Our routes, uh, we have GPS going. Uh, you can go into the... Emergency Command Centre at our Delta workshops. We have two now. We knew that we were behind on servicing North Delta. It used to take us an, over an hour to get a truck off of North Delta, off the grid, back to Ladner to fill up with uh, the salt and get back plowing. We purchased another workshop just under the Alex Fraser Bridge there. And now our, our time for servicing North Delta has been reduced to 10 minutes. So as Delta, we're, we're looking always forward insofar as what we need to expect and how we can slowly increase our tax base to accommodate that. Uh, every season after snow and flood season, uh, there's a report to council with from our staff with regards to additional equipment that we find that be necessary. Uh, we have put additional snow, uh, snow plows and trucks on, and then you have to have the staff to operate those 24-7, of course. And we'll be looking at doing that again. Not easy to get snow plows anymore, or snow trucks, or tandem trucks, as they call them. Uh, yeah. They're about $300,000, and the delivery, we're still behind a year. I'm waiting for one to come. I'm taking a look at the Main Road website here right now as we're speaking, and it's got a list on there of the highways and bridges that they're responsible for in the Lower Mainland. So it includes, like, you know, the main ones, Portman Bridge, Alex Fraser Bridge, Patello Bridge, and then the major highways, Highway Highway 1, Highway 91, Highway 99, Highway 17, as you mentioned. Like, you know, it's a long list, right? they got got 100 people there. I don't know. I'm I'm with you. I certainly would not criticize the guys who are out there working flat out to try and get these roads clear. But I just wonder if they have enough people and enough and enough uh, equipment. Well, and I hope the media stays on this because the government is responsible. Uh, we should, uh, they need to have a review and ensure that there's adequate staffing, adequate equipment uh, to combat the storms. And when you have their responsibilities, you only need one accident to cause a, a lower mainland choke of traffic. You see that when the weather's dry in the summer. One accident that uh, shuts the Alex Fraser Bridge down or shuts the tunnel down, it just creates gridlock everywhere. Uh, of course, the other, you know, couple, you know last uh, Tuesday, Tuesday night, which was unfortunate, 
uh, everybody sort of left work at the same time, so that was unusual. But we should have had more ability, a better ability from the province to free up those choke zones when the accidents happened. Speaking of Delta Mayor George Harvey, you mentioned that this is it tends to be kind of a, a patchwork response across the region, I think, because roads within municipal boundaries, those are the responsibility of the individual municipality. You mentioned that the you said the roads are clear in Delta. I, I'm sure that that's good news for the people in Delta. I don't know. Like I've, I've heard complaints from other people in other cities, like in Vancouver, you know, are they doing a good enough job plowing the roads in Vancouver? I've heard stories about roads that cross municipal boundaries. It's plowed on one side, not plowed on the other. You know, you hear, do you hear that? Do you hear complaints that it seems to be good in one municipality, but not so good in others? Well, so I said that uh, our priority routes and our secondary routes are, are, are in good shape right now, but we can't get in front of everybody's house. And sometimes the expectations of service delivery from our cities is, is not unrealistic. We're not Toronto. We're not Edmonton. We're not Calgary. We don't have this prolonged uh, types of weather conditions. The snowfall will probably be all gone by Sunday based upon the weather reports I just got from our staff. Um, so how much tax dollars are you going to spend? But our, we've always had a priority of doing primary routes first and then the secondaries. And now our people are actually getting out and starting to clear the sidewalks and the bus stops and those types of things. But after, yeah. we've got a bit of a lull here right now. So that's our plan. Uh, the other cities, uh, they, you know, I talked to the other mayors. They're doing the best they can. Um, but I do not want to be involved in a regional type of system because that'll mean Delta won't get the proper service that it can get. But and our, our residents are paying the taxes and we will respond to you know, what they want to do. If they want more trucks, petition us for it or whatever. We'll make sure that happens. But right now, I think the, in Delta, at least, uh, we're well under control. We have a good plan, but we're also right. ready for the next phase, which is flooding. We're going to, once we get a, you know, this, this temperature increase, that's, and we've seen it before, of course, the ground's still frozen, the water's going to go somewhere, we'll have homes phoning for help, and we've got the pumps available, and our, our people are prepared to move into the next phase, which is recovery. Thank you for coming on this morning. I appreciate it. Anytime. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Seed. Probiotics are most effective when they make it to your colon, alive. That's why C developed a patented two-in-one capsule that safeguards viability of its DSO-1 daily symbiotic through digestion to deliver the maximum dose to your colon. No refrigeration necessary. Visit C.com slash Spotify and use code SPOTIFY25 to get 25% off your first month. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. All right, here we go now with our thin blue line debate today on the show. I think a lot of people will be familiar with this issue. This is a a pro-police symbol. Some people display this to show support for the police. It is basically a Canadian flag with a thin blue line down the middle. Now, is it appropriate for a Vancouver City Councillor to wear this patch on his jacket. We've got a great panel standing by to discuss this. First, 
Have a listen to this report from Global News anchor Sophie Louie. Vancouver City Councilor is defending his decision to wear a patch that some consider controversial. On December 17th, at an event in Gastown, Councilor Brian Montague was pictured wearing a jacket with a thin blue line patch on the sleeve. On social media, some criticized Montague for wearing it, calling it a symbol of white supremacy. Montague, who is a retired Vancouver police officer, refuted those claims, saying in part, it symbolizes a line of dedicated people who protect. It is a memorial to many of the friends and colleagues I have lost. It symbolizes courage and sacrifice. I earned the right to wear it. All right, let's discuss this now with our panel. We've got two great guests for you, both sides of it for you. Sean Orr, he is a former Vancouver City Council candidate. He's a columnist for Scout Magazine. I'm very pleased to welcome him back, Sean. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. You bet. Also on the line is Rob Rothwell. Rob is a former superintendent at the Vancouver Police Department. He is the author of the book, 33 Years the unfiltered memoir of a cop. Rob, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Okay, guys, thank you both of you for doing this. Rob, let me go to you first. The thin blue line patch, the thin blue line symbol. What does it mean to you, and what's the history of it, and is it okay for this city councillor to wear it, in your opinion? Sure. Well, I'll tell you, in 33 years of policing, that patch has always meant to me uh, it's a symbol to honour police officers that have uh, sacrificed their life in the line of duty and uh, and it's an important recognition and distinction and uh, I would say that yes anybody that is wearing that uh, should wear it proudly and understand that uh, you know it is there to honor those that uh, have lost their lives and uh, and to try and attach that meaning to anything else or to try and corrupt the meaning is completely illegitimate and in fact totally insulting to the officers and uh, and the members of the public that do wear uh, that symbol so uh, I, I, you know, I strongly take uh, opposition to any finding that uh, Councillor Montague should not be wearing that uh, patch. Uh, I think uh, he proudly wears it, and he has earned the right to wear it for sure. And frankly, you know, it, it's comparable to wearing a poppy in my mind because we are honoring the dead, the police officers that have served, that have uh, sacrificed their lives. Uh, and uh, I really don't see the distinction between that and a poppy. And would we say, no, you can't wear a poppy? Okay. Okay, Sean Orr, what do you think? Uh, well, obviously, I, I'm on the opposite side of that um, and think that it would be an offense to many veterans um, to compare that line to uh, a poppy because the line actually or, or, uh, goes back to uh, LAPD uh, Chief Police William Parker, who described the thin blue line as um, keeping order between uh, chaos and uh, order. And he described it as a line between um, a black neighborhood that um, wouldn't allow they they wouldn't the police wouldn't allow fire trucks to enter the black neighborhood to put out fires in the in the in the Watts district of L.A. Um, because he he described the black neighborhood as um, zoos in a uh, monkeys in a zoo. So this this is um, this has always been a racist symbol. Um, and the idea that you can just change. Um, a symbol into something that you want it to mean um, is, is, is pretty immature. Um, if this symbol is controversial for a reason, this symbol has, it upsets minorities, it upsets uh, a lot of people. Um, that's the reason Calgary has banned it, Victoria, Toronto, the entire RCMP. Um, so this is widely recognized as an incredibly controversial symbol. Um, if I see somebody on the street wearing a thin blue line patch, I'm not going to say anything. 
But this is a sitting counselor. This is somebody who should know better, and this is somebody who absolutely should be accountable to the public. Rob, and she, what do you, she should not wear the patch. Okay, Rob, what do you say to that? Well, first of all, I think there's a lot of question around, you know, this claimed origin of the thin blue line. Uh, clearly, that is not what it represents here in Canada. That is not what it represents to the officers that wear it whatsoever. Uh, you know, the maple leaf and the Canada flag are symbols of peace around the world, and the, the thin blue line uh, uh, here in Canada is, uh, is a symbol of, uh, you know, the sacrifice of the police officers uh, that have given their lives in the line of duty. And, and to try and tie it to some comments made by a chief of L.A. many, many years ago is just like it's lunacy in my mind. Would you say that, go ahead, Sean, you want to respond yeah, this to that? Is a, this is a symbol that, I mean, it, it has been appropriated by white nationalist movements. So why would you continue to, to, to use that? I mean, sure, okay, you can say that it's been co-opted or the history has changed. It hasn't. It's always been racist. But you can say, okay, knowing that, knowing that the symbol now represents what it represents, you can't change that. This is the perception of people that you serve as public members of the public. You're supposed to protect us. And how can we trust you if we feel that you're wearing a patch that says, I am chaos? I am, a, I am, I am this, this, this chaotic individual, and, and you are the only thing separating society from me. If, if that's what it means to people, just change it. If you well, want, if you it, want, if you want that's symbol, not what it means to people, though. That's not what I hear symbol. from people, uh, and that's not Go what up. it is ever meant Go here in Canada with symbol. the Vancouver Police Department. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Make a little angel if you want. Hang on, guys. I'm going to, I'm going to insist you don't speak over each other. I'm okay. Sorry, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't finished. So, yeah, well, I, my point is, if you want it to, if you want a symbol to mean respect for your fallen comrades, fine, make a new symbol, because that's not what it means anymore. Okay, Rob, go ahead. Uh, no, the meaning is still consistent here in Canada. It hasn't changed. And, and uh, you know, the police don't just walk away from things that are meaningful to them because, you know, somebody has concluded that, uh, you know, it is offensive. It's not offensive. Uh, maybe we you need to, to market the true meaning of here in Canada further. Yeah, uh, you know, so that people have a better understanding. But this, the, the, there's nothing offensive about this. It's not worn with that intent. Uh, I want people to understand why it's worn. And I think once people understand why it's worn, they certainly would be supportive. And that is a messaging that I've been receiving all along. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, like you don't get to decide what's offensive to people. You don't get to, to decide that. If it's offensive to people, it's offensive. And it's offensive because of the origins that I explained, the history of the symbol, it's ties to white nationalism. It's offensive for all those reasons, and and that's why the RCMP is, has told members not to wear it. Okay, what about though? I mean, you're saying like the, you're talking about the ties to white nationalist movements and stuff, but is it the is it the fault of the police if this symbol has been co-opted by other groups that they have nothing to do with? As I said, I don't think it's been co-opted. I, I think the history has always meant that. They're trying to change it. They're trying to now backpedal and change it into something that, that means something completely different. It's always meant well, It's always meant this line between chaos and, and in, in this case, chaos being a black neighborhood um, or, or chaos being people with mental health um, problems or, or, or poor people, essentially. That's what chaos means, and that's what the thin blue line well, is, is protecting the rest of society means. That's what it's always meant. So is you, that you what, can try and change it to this, to this new meaning, but that, it doesn't uh, matter. It, that, okay, that, is that what it means? Let me, let me go back to Rob for a minute. Is that what it means, Rob, in the minds of most people, do you think? Or do you think it means, like, when I hear, first heard that term, it, it reminded me, I think I first heard it in a documentary film back in the 1980s called Thin Blue Line about police. 
you know, and I kind of get the concept blue, the uniform color of a police officer, a thin line. You know, you get a small number of police officers who are putting themselves on the line uh, to keep order in society. Is that is that what it means to you? Like, is that is that the metaphor? Uh, what it really means to me and to the officers that wear it is that it is recognizing the loss of those officers that did put their lives on the line and and were killed in the line of duty. And, and uh, you know, whether or not you can claim that it has some other historical meaning, I think is irrelevant to the fact that it is worn by officers here for that purpose and that reason. And and that's really what I think the public needs to appreciate and understand if, if in fact, they have some misunderstanding about it. And I think that it's very rare that people have misunderstanding about it. And uh, in all the years that I've worn it or uh, uh, have been aware of it, it has never been referred to uh, as offensive. Nobody has ever taken issue with it. And I think that, uh, by and large, people recognize that it is a symbol of honor uh, that the officers are wearing and and uh, that it should not be interpreted as something offensive or something derogatory or a threat to anybody. Is it's, it, it's completely the opposite. Is it okay, though, for a city councillor to display it, given that, you know, we expect a city councillor to be neutral and impartial, policing services are a municipal responsibility. This is a, a city councillor who could be expected to make decisions on police services. So if he's showing, if he's wearing a patch, it kind of, does that sort of betray any kind of bias, though? I would say I so. Say I mean, this is a guy is taking a pension Go right ahead, now, John. you know, with the police. I mean, I, I mean, I think the fact <clears throat> you bring up a great uh, point, Mike, I don't even think he should be voting on on matters of the police budget. If this is somebody who's still taking a pension from the from the police department. OK, we continue discussing the thin blue line patch. It's the pro police symbol. Is it OK for Vancouver City Councillor Brian Montague to wear it on his jacket? He's a former police officer recently elected to council. Got both sides of it here for you, Sean or Rob Rothwell. Lots of phone calls. Joshua in Maple Ridge. Hi, go ahead. Hello. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for giving me a moment here. Um, sure. I wanted to challenge the assertion made by, I can't remember the gentleman's name. Uh, he is against the symbol being used uh, Sean. in public. Sean. Sean, I wanted to challenge the assertion that um, that symbols cannot change with time or that symbols can't be altered, that the meaning of a symbol can't be altered. I think that's patently untrue. Like, you only have to look at things like, Either the Christmas tree, the peace symbol. If you want to go back far enough, you look at the cross. I'm not a Christian, but you look at that symbol changing with time. I don't know enough about the thin blue line argument to make a claim as to whether or not it's appropriate. But I wanted to challenge the assertion of Sean that symbols cannot be changed. They are the, they are the offspring of human culture. The idea that we as people cannot mold and manipulate our culture to, to what we would like it to become, regardless of its origin. You look at the swastika. That's an example going the other way of something that started out mm. as a symbol of peace and was co-opted and became a symbol of hatred. Okay, let's get Sean's yeah. response. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, it's a really good point. Um, I actually did bring that up in response to Brian, um, uh, his, his response. Um, I brought up that point that, you know, oh, people will say that the swastika is a Buddhist symbol. If you were to go out wearing a swastika if, as a white person, if you're out wearing a swastika in public or you're a sitting counselor wearing a swastika, I mean, what, what, there would be outrage around the world for a good reason, because you can't change that back. That symbol means something now. That means something to indigenous people. It means something to black people. It means something to Jewish people. It means, it means something now. 
And it's really, really hard to change that back. If you're going to say, oh, no, it's because I'm a Buddhist, uh, yeah, I, doubt, I doubt anyone would buy that. Right? So symbols oh, okay. are very powerful, and you're right, but it's really hard to change it back into something that you think is good. So just oh. come up with a new symbol. Come up with oh. something that represents your fallen comrades, like a, a boot or an Rob. angel. Rob. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, Mike. I mean, first of all, you know, even the term or the reference to thin blue line is ubiquitous, you know, within society. It's used favorably and unfavorably in describing or in referring to policing uh, in general. And uh, and while while you can go back in history and claim that there was a specific meaning, uh, I don't see the relevance between that claim and how it's worn today and what it means and the fact that that thin blue line across the patch is absolutely ubiquitous whether it is in reference to uh, fallen officers or some other claim around policing it you know it's just it's too generalized and uh, and i think trying to attach a specific meaning to it and claim that throughout history that meaning has never changed and that by wearing it today the police are are conveying that message is absolutely wrong and it's hijacking the meaning of what that symbol is for the officers that are wearing it. Okay, squeeze in one more call. Mike in Surrey. Hi, Mike, go ahead. I, you know, one of the symbols that have been hijacked, of course, was the Canadian flag when you see it hanging on a truck. But what I wanted to say was that I fully support him wearing the uh, the badge. It is, it is a symbol of his support for the police and his fallen comrades. However, I do think that he cannot wear it on functions that involve city council when he was elected he liked to serve the entire population and there may be a bit of the population that really doesn't understand that symbol fully and therefore it may be a little bit offensive or be considered offensive so perhaps what he should do is not apologize i don't think he should absolutely never apologize for wearing it i think it's a very important symbol but he should not wear it on uh, city council functions okay thank you mike Thank you, Mike, for the call. Guys, we just have one minute left, so I'm going to give you 30 seconds each here to, to finish up. Sean, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, this symbol has been used. This isn't uh, going back to the 60s is where, where the roots are. But, I mean, up until recently, in the idea of Blue Lives Matter in response to Black Lives Matter, um, which is a, a definitely a r- racist response. Um, so, I mean, I'll, this isn't, I'm not alone in this. This is a, this is a very common thing. Um, across Canada. That's why the okay. RCMP banned it. That's why many police have banned it. Uh, okay, Rob, real fellow, quick. Sorry, fellow to... Councillor Christine Boyle yeah. has, has, has called it out and saying that the historical roots of the thin blue line are in colonial ideals. Go ahead, go ahead, Rob. Sorry, no, sorry, um, I got to cut you off there. Go ahead, Rob. Still, look, the, thin, the, the blue line is so ubiquitous in terms of referring to policing. And, uh, you know, to try and attach a specific meaning to it is wrong. Uh, that's not why it's worn. Uh, it's hijacking the meaning. Uh, it's it's disrespecting the officers that are wearing that in honor of those that have uh, given their lives to police. Thank you. Thank you to both of you. And I'm sorry for trying to cut everybody off there, but just in the interest of time, I appreciate both of you being here. Rob Rothwell, Sean Orr, thank you for the calls. We had a ton of calls there couldn't get to. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code POD. That's ShipStation.com with the code POD.
Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. All right, let's talk about vape taxes now going up, up, up. Are you a vapor? Get set to pay more for your vape products. Federal taxes are going up on vape products. The provincial government earlier increased taxes on vapes. Is this the right thing to do? What if you are a tobacco smoker? Maybe you're trying to kick cigarettes, transition to vapes. Well, I guess this will make it more expensive. The other side of the coin is the rise in youth vaping. Could higher prices deter young people from taking up vaping in the first place? Got Jack Boomer standing by. First, have a listen to this now. This is Daryl Tempest from the Canadian Vaping Association. He was on an earlier show, not happy about these increased vape taxes. Have a listen to what he says here. And if the provinces buy into that uh, regime and sign on, it would double that. So a product that, according to the Royal College Physicians, which is 95% less harmful than combustible tobacco, will be the same price, if not more expensive than cigarettes. Okay, so he, he argues that increasing taxes on vapes is counterproductive. You're going to make them more expensive than cigarettes. What about the people who are trying to kick tobacco and use vape products as a smoking cessation tool? It's an interesting issue. Let's discuss it with Jack Boomer now, Clean Air Coalition of BC. And I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Jack, thanks a lot for coming on today. Thanks, Mike. Okay. I don't think there's any dispute that vapes are safer than cigarettes, right? Like if you're smoking, if you're using a vape product, that is, it's less harmful to your body than smoking tobacco right? Uh, probably, for sure, yeah. Prob- probably? I think it's... Well, you know, I, I think the thing is, the, the safest thing is people don't, uh, if they don't use any product that they inhale into their lungs, that's the safest by far, right? Right, and right. Absolutely. And so um, what we would encourage is, like, for no one to start using any type of product that they're going to inhale into their lungs. You know, a tobacco product, a, a combustible, we call them combustible cigarettes now, the ones that you burn, uh, the, 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 the tobacco. Those uh, will kill 50% of the of people who use them if they use them the way that they're supposed to, right? Um, yeah. And so that's not a good thing. And so... Um, there is some evidence, absolutely, as uh, your previous interviewer said, that if you want to quit using uh, combustible or regular cigarettes and move to vaping uh, as, as a strategy to quit altogether, that that will assist you. But the, the provincial government in B.C. has one of the best quit smoking programs uh, across Canada. You can get free patch and gum if you go to your pharmacy, which is evidence-based. Um, it's clean nicotine that will assist you in your quit journey uh, to quit smoking. And so, yes, there are ways that people will switch to uh, vaping products in their quit journey. But what also happens is there's a number of people that use vape products uh, and they also use tobacco, uh, combustible, regular cigarettes. And so as a result of that, there there is actually some evidence uh, emerging that if you uh, vape 
and you also smoke, that it's kind of like a double whammy to your lungs. And so what uh, we also know, Mike, is that when you increase tobacco taxes, that that's one of the best ways to encourage people to quit smoking because people go, what the heck, you know, I'm not going to pay X amount for uh, a package of cigarettes anymore. And so there's a certain price point that will actually inspire people to smoke fewer cigarettes and quit. Or if with vaping products, they may just say it's too expensive to do this and I'm, I'm going to quit altogether. Okay. I think one of the real disturbing trends we've seen recently is the rise in youth vaping. And I see young people vaping all the time. Their high school near near my home. If I'm taking my dog for a walk around there, I'll see these you know groups of young people with a big vapor cloud over them, and I'm like, "What are you guys doing? Like, don't start with this vaping." God, you know, I got two young teenage boys at home, and I tried to drill this into them. Don't let me catch you with these vapes because I know some of their friends are vaping. It's bad for you, right? Like, what do you think about that trend there with young people taking up vaping? Well. You know, uh, first of all, the the vaping uh, the vaping industry has done a masterful job at making it seem cool and hip to vape, and they created. Uh, there was a product in the States called Juul, which was very much looked like a USB stick that you plug into your computer. And it is so so cool, uh, and that young people were uh, getting them in droves, and that really we saw a spike. Um, you know, in British Columbia, you uh, if you want to purchase vape products or tobacco products, you need to be 19 years of age. And so somehow somebody is selling these products to young people, and uh, it may not be retailers, they may be getting it from other ways, and they may be, oftentimes, young people get access to vaping products or tobacco products from their friends that are a little bit older than 19 that can go into the stores uh, and purchase them legally, and so we call that social sourcing. So, in fact, one of the things, like the Clean Air Coalition, which includes the Heart and Stroke Foundation of BC and Yukon, which includes the Canadian Cancer Society, we've been advocating to increase the age that you can purchase vaping and tobacco products to 21. And there are a number of states all across, uh, like in in uh, the United States, as well as a number of cities that have moved in that direction. Uh, PEI is, has moved in that direction as well to say, you know, um, when you're 18, 19, you're less, you may not know as many people over 21 that would be willing to buy you tobacco products. Um, and so we've been advocating for that. Okay, that's an interesting one for sure. You know, the vaping, the youth vaping, I think, is a, is a real problem. But I, I really think this is a, a really tough issue because on the one hand, youth vaping, kids taking up vaping if they haven't smoked before, obviously I think that's not a good thing. On the other hand, as a smoking cessation tool, if people can get off of cigarettes by transitioning to vaping, I think that's also a, a good thing that should be, I you know, at least maybe encouraged or, or as, a, as an option for people? Like, I know you mentioned the patch and the gum, Jack, and but I've talked to people who, who have told me the patch didn't work for them, the gum didn't work for them, but the vaping did. Look, and Mike, I totally agree, and I, I think that for those people that are, you know, in their quit journey, those who smoke who want to quit and they transition to vaping products, you know, absolutely. But for the vaping industry to say, you know, we're there to help people quit smoking, um, yeah. What kind of a business model would you have if what you're trying to do is put yourself out of business by selling a product to people who will eventually try to completely get off nicotine? 
Yeah. Yeah. Let's listen to another clip here from Daryl Tempest on an earlier show last week. Canadian Vaping Association here talking about increased vape taxes. And you'll hear him discuss here what happened in the United States. And then, Jack, will get your thoughts. Have a listen. So in the U.S. in the last uh, two months, there was three states that had taxation and flavor bans. Not only has smoking gone up in those states, uh, uh, smoking has gone up in the youth category as well. Wow. Okay. So we said states that have increased vape taxes and limited and had flavor restrictions on vape juice. He argues that youth smoking of tobacco, combustible tobacco, as you called it, has gone up. You, are you buying that? You think that's true? You know what? I don't. I don't know those states, and I haven't heard uh, that before. And so I need to look more closely at that. But absolutely, the thing is, uh, you know, um, and I think it, it it actually points to the whole issue of youth vaping. If somebody is addicted to nicotine and they need to access nicotine, uh, and they're going to what they some people may do is go out and, and buy regular cigarettes because they want that that nicotine fix, and so. Um, if we can do everything in our power to prevent youth and young adults from starting to, you know, vape or get addicted to nicotine in whatever form, then we'll be further ahead. And so, um, you know, I haven't seen any research in British Columbia with some of the flavoring bans that we have here that we've seen a rise in youth smoking. That's not to say it isn't happening, but I haven't seen or heard of any evidence like that to, yeah. uh, to date. And we do know that one of the best ways to encourage people to quit smoking is to raise tobacco taxes. Okay, let's listen to another clip here of Daryl Tempest, Canadian Vaping Association, on last week's show, and then I'll get your thoughts, Jack. Here he is talking about vaping as a, as a tool to quit smoking cigarettes. Have a listen. There is a immense amount of global evidence that will show you that vaping is less harmful than smoking. That should be a massive part of the policy here, because in its most pessimistic view, vaping is twice as effective to transitioning people off of combustible tobacco as any other NRT product. Okay, the interesting thing, though, is vapes are not marketed as a tobacco cessation product. I mean, it's not like you have to go to a drugstore to get them, like you would get the patch or whatever. They're the same companies who are arguing that, you know, these are safer than cigarettes. Aren't they also, like, Big tobacco companies, like aren't tobacco companies, tobacco companies are getting into vaping, are they not? Absolutely, they are, because they know that it's a form of getting people addicted to nicotine. And so it, 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 in some ways, I guess you'd call it brand extension, that you now no longer just have people that are addicted to, to you know, cigarettes, they're addicted to vaping products where you can also get nicotine. And so uh, that is... You know, I think at the end of the day, I um, if we sincerely had people who want to, on their, you know, it, I call it a quit journey because it takes people upwards of possibly 20 or 30 serious quit attempts to actually completely quit smoking oftentimes. And so as a result, they may try cold turkey. It works for a little while. They learn some lessons and then they, they try other products like the patch and gum. It may work for some and not for others. They may go to their doctor and get uh, bupropion or Zyban or Welbutrin to assist them in, you know, with the medication. And then they might actually try um, I do know some people that have, have have quit using vape, absolutely. But the at the end of the day, what we we should be doing is we should be trying to encourage everyone to to completely quit one hundred percent 
and that um, we don't have, um, we aren't out there marketing the whole vaping uh, as, as a way to quit smoking. And so I do think that, you know, there are some, there, there would be some opportunities. You know, we want to help people quit smoking, and there right. isn't one silver bullet. If there was, I'd be rich and say this is the yeah. one way to do it, but everyone quits in a different way. Talking vape taxes with Jack Boomer, Clean Air Coalition. Right to your phone calls, Nick on Vancouver Island. Hi. Hey, how you doing today? Good, go ahead. Yeah, you know, um, as far as the new taxes and, and uh, whatnot that are coming in on the uh, on the juice, I, I, I don't mind anything uh, extra to uh, give me a little bit more incentive to finally put away this, uh, this vape uh, is uh, probably what I needed. I originally uh, took it up to quit smoking cigarettes, and so far so great, so I've done that. But uh, unfortunately, I'm still wired to the nicotine, so... Uh, a little bit of a, a, a catch-22 so, there. Okay, so you actually want the price to go up? Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, I, I've got a, a threshold that uh, I'm already feeling a little bit uh, uncomfortable. Um, uh, you know, swiping my uh, credit card for uh, a, a couple of bottles of juice, and now it'll yeah. give me a, a, an extra incentive to think twice, and uh, finally give me a reason to put away the vape. Okay, thank you, Nick. I hope that happens for you in the new year. Thank you very much for calling in. Cameron on the line in Vancouver. Hi, Cameron. Go ahead. Hi. Uh, a friend of mine's kid is actually in rehab right now for 10 weeks because he was so wired on vaping. The stuff he was doing was 14 times more powerful than a cigarette. So every time he'd go out for a couple of puffs, he's just smoked 14 cigarettes. Also, I used to smoke, and I started when I was like 13. But when I started, I'd smoke like one cigarette a day. Sometimes we'd share one. And, you know, I, this kid was doing three or four packs of cigarettes a day. His school, his schooling dropped. He used to be a really good classical pianist. All of that went out the window. He couldn't sleep. He was ornery. I mean, part wow. of that is teenage years, of course. But finally, they took him to a doctor or psychologist or something, and uh, they ran some blood tests, and they said his nicotine levels are through the roof. Wow. So okay. Let he's me get actually in rehab right now, all the way over Christmas. He's there for ten weeks. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible, Cameron. Thank you for that, Jack. I mean, didn't the province bring in limits on nicotine content? The province did, uh, indeed, and, uh, you know, I think what was identified is, you know, the thing is, I think people can calibrate their e-juice and change the way that, you know, how much e-juice that they're getting in the nick. And so I think people can change what happens in the, the e-juice liquid that is found in, a, in an e-cigarette. And so um, before the province brought in the regulations, that it was, a, it was even a bigger problem. So, but, you know, one of the things, Mike, I just want to add, you know, yeah. um, I, I, uh, during the break, I, I tried to find the research article that um, your, um, uh, the, the Vaping Association had identified. And it was an article, I, I believe, from Michigan and, uh, or Minnesota done early in 2021 or 2020. And, you know, the, the bottom line is we do know that e-cigarettes, if somebody is a smoker and switches to e-cigarettes, that would be 
better for them on, okay. you know, if they're trying to quit. But at the end of the day, we also know that um, we increasing taxes will, will make it harder for youth to purchase the Thank tobacco you. product. So anyway. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.